this morning, we're actually going to be, be beginning in verse 14 and looking through verse 20 of Philippians. Next week, we're going to come back to Philippians 4, verse 10 through 13. So for the month of July, I thought it'd be fun to take a break from our book series and to do a mini-series. It's going to be called Misquoted. And so what we're going to do is for the five weeks of July, we're going to look at some different passages of scripture that we often misinterpret and misapply in our lives. And Philippians 4.13 is probably the most famous out of all of those verses. So we'll look back at that next week. So technically we'll be done with Philippians next week, but we'll say for sake of series that this is our last week in our series on Philippians. If you look at verse 14 with me, the Bible says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, he sent once and again to my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all that abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need, according to his riches and glory, by Christ Jesus. Now to God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The title for today's message is Why Giving Matters. Why Giving Matters. So if you're visiting with us here this morning or you're newer to the church, I just want you to know that the method of preaching that we do here is through books of the Bible. So we go verse after verse and we teach what the text says. And it just so happens that you happen to come on the day where the text talks about giving or it talks about our money. The Bible speaks very plainly about money because our hearts and our wallets are tightly bound together and God is after our hearts. I understand that speaking on money and giving is often a sensitive topic by which people are easily offended in church. So my hope this morning is that rather than closing your ears and tuning out the message, that we would open our hearts to the Lord, that we would be sensitive to the Spirit. And as God prayerfully convicts and challenges us on our giving through his work, that's one thing I'll tell you, I promise you this morning, that I'm not going to stand up here and manipulate the text and try to make you feel guilty. I'm going to rightfully handle the word of God. So if the text says it, I'm going to tell you what it says, but I'm not going to try to bring guilt on anybody. If there's guilt, then maybe it's the Holy Spirit that's working in your heart. So as we get started, let's, let's go ahead, let's pray again one more time and then we'll look at the text, right? Dear me, Father, Lord, I pray that you would be with me as I unfold your word. 
word, Lord. Lord, that your word would not return void, that you would remove all distractions, that you would convict us, that you would challenge us in regards to being generous, Lord. Lord, uh, I pray that you would give me clarity of speech, that you would help me to be faithful to the text, Lord, that I would preach what your word says and nothing else. Pray that you would be with us. I pray that Christ would be glorified through it all. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Starting in verse 14 of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul begins to thank the Philippian church for their generosity towards his ministry. In verse 14, Paul says that you have done well in sharing my affliction or in sharing in my distress. The book of Philippians, as we said at the beginning, it really is, it's a thank you letter to the Philippian church in response to them sending these monetary gifts to the Apostle Paul. Remember that as the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he's sitting in a Roman prison under house arrest. So the Philippian church, hearing about Paul's arrest, sent their pastor, Epaphroditus, to Paul to be able to minister to him. But not only minister, again, they, they sent a, a love offering, they, they sent a gift of money to help meet Paul's needs while he was under house arrest. Being under house arrest, he would have still had to pay for things but he wasn't able to work a job. He wasn't able to, to make money himself. So they helped, they, they met his need and his distress. Paul tells us in this text that the Philippian church had faithfully given since the beginning of the gospel. And so what Paul is saying right there in that verse, what he's saying is that since I came to Philippi and first preached the message of Jesus, first preached the message of the gospel, since then you have faithfully given to my ministry. The colony of Philippi was in Macedonia. And Paul says that when he left from Macedonia, that nobody continued to give to his ministry other than them. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to the, Corinthians, to the church at Corinth, he says, When I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. So he's talking about this church here at Philippi. As we look at our text and look throughout scripture, we learn that the church at Philippi was a generous church. Now, know that the Philippian church by no means would have been a necessarily wealthy church, but still they were known and had earned a reputation for giving sacrificially, for giving generously, and for cheerfully supporting gospel mission. In Philippians 1, verse 5, Paul told the church that he was thankful for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. One way that we partner in the gospel, one way that we partner with churches is through the giving of our resources. Simply stated, if you aren't giving, you aren't a partner. You're more like a consumer or a customer, but Paul doesn't view the Philippians as Customers. Paul views the Philippians as co-laborers. I think also as we see that this is a church that had given since the very beginning, there's, there's something to be said about gospel giving being one of the first things we establish in our Christian walk. And I've often heard it said that if you want to know a person's priorities, check their bank account, check their checkbook, see what they're spending their money on. Listen, we spend money and, and give gifts to the things that matter the most to us. 
Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, the thing about priorities, though, is that priorities can change. You know, it's not natural for people to want to give up money and resources that they have earned to ministries or to church. That's not a natural thing, but as Paul began to preach the glorious gospel in Philippi, and as the Philippians began to be radically saved and transformed and changed by Jesus Christ, their priorities changed. And their heart moved to where the work of God and the furtherance of the gospel became of first importance. This was a church that put their money where their mouth is. Listen, it's one thing to say that we care about missions, that we care about furthering the gospel, about going to the uttermost and sharing Christ with people. But it's another thing to take action to support this statement. And thanking the Philippian church, what, what Paul is doing, he's telling them, he's, he's encouraging them, letting them know that their giving has not been in vain. That they're giving to a worthy cause. So as we look at these next few verses, I want us to quickly, I won't take long this morning, I want us to see three reasons why Christians ought to give to gospel ministry. The first thing I want us to see is that we give because it invests in eternity. We give because it invests in eternity. Look at verse 17 with me. Verse 17, Paul says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. As I preach and teach on giving, I hope you understand that my heart is the exact same as the Apostle Paul's heart here in this this text. You know, so many people have this idea that the church or the pastor just wants my money. And, and rightfully so, because there's a lot of churches and pastors where they have allowed the love of money to ruin them and to ruin their ministry. But Paul says, I don't care about your money. He says, I'm not thanking you in order to butter you up in, 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 in hopes that you'll send me more money. In verses 10 through 13, which we'll look at next week, Paul already shared with them that money is not a factor in his joy, but rather that he's able to be content no matter his circumstances because he's in Christ. Rather than Paul's joy being in his gain from their generous giving, Paul's joy was in their gain for their generous giving. He said, I don't desire a gift, but I desire fruit to your account. Understand that Paul is not preaching to the church at Philippi a prosperity gospel, a prosperity theology. Paul is not saying that if you sow a seed of a thousand dollars, that God is going to bring fruit to your account of ten thousand dollars. Rather, what Paul is doing is he's looking at their missionary gift as an investment that would pay rich spiritual dividends. It's an investment. You know, we, we hear a lot recently about investments and how investments have started to go bad in the economy that we're living in. You know, our 401ks, you have Bitcoin, you have all these things that people have invested in and they've lost from these investments. But Paul says, listen, when you invest in the kingdom of God, that there is going to be a guarantee of rich spiritual dividends. 
Alistair Begg noted that while it's not a bad idea to have an IRA, an individual retirement account, that every believer should have an IEA, an individual eternal account. That is that we should be laying up our treasures in heaven. Regarding one's IEA, Begg asked the question, what is in it? And when was the last time that you contributed to your IEA? Listen, the safest, insurest investment is to steward your resources faithfully for the good of the kingdom. Every time you give to missional gospel work, you play a part in the people and the lives that are in turn affected by that ministry. By giving, you're expanding your gospel reach through others. People that you would never be able to get to, that you'll never be able to tell about Jesus. When you give to ministries that do, you play a part of that. You are helping to impact lives. Even more so than earthly treasure, you're investing in an eternal treasure where moth and rust do not corrupt. You're investing in souls. You're investing in people. Imagine the joy when you get to heaven and you meet all the people that you would help play a part in them coming to the saving knowledge of Christ because of your contributions to the gospel. No matter how you cut it, spreading the gospel costs money. Doing missions costs money. Doing outreach costs money. Listen, there's so many things that, that even as a church that we would love to do to be able to do outreach to our community and get the gospel even farther out. We have a community dinner where we're trying to bring people in and share the good news of Christ with them. But all of this stuff costs money. And the thing is, somewhere down the line, there was a financial investment that was made that led to you accepting Christ as Savior. So now, we play our part in supporting gospel efforts to ensure that people are reached with the good news. So the first thing we see is that we give because it invests in eternity. And then the second thing I want to see in verse 18 is that we give as an act of worship. We give as an act of worship. Verse 18, Paul says, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. So he says, listen, because of the gifts that you have sent to me, that, that I, am, I am blessed, I am full, I don't need anything else. But then he says that their gifts is an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Paul says, because of the gifts you have sent me, I am full and have more than enough, but even more importantly, God is pleased. Listen, we don't give out of fear of curse, but we give out of honor for God. I used to hear all the time growing up um, messages about giving. People that would tell testimonies and stories of, you know, well, you better give because if you don't, God's going to get his money anyways. If I don't give, then my car's going to break down or my tire's going to blow or, you know, I'm going to have this expense or that expense. And I've heard that over and over and over. And while, you know, there may be some 
proof to that happening, that's not a motivator for giving. We don't give out of fear that if we don't give, God is going to curse us. We give because we honor and love and cherish the Lord. We give out of worship towards him. Amen. The very first recorded act of worship in the Bible was the offerings of Cain and Abel. Noah's initial act of worship after leaving the ark was to build an, offering, build an altar and offer sacrifices on it. Abel's response to God's initial promise was to build an altar and offer sacrifices in worship. Listen, all throughout the Bible, we see that worship and sacrifice are often one and the same. They're often synonymous. They go together. When we give generously and sacrificially, it's not because God needs anything. Listen, you're not doing God a favor by giving to gospel work, by giving to the mission. God isn't up in heaven saying, oh man, I really hope that that, that that person gives their tithes this week because we need that for the church to operate. But it's because we want to show our love for him. Christian giving is always a response. The motivation for our giving is that we have received. And in verse, let's see, in verse, I think it's, 15. In verse 15, Paul says, talking about the Philippian church, he says that none has, has communicated with them concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. What Paul was saying is that there's, there's plenty of churches that have received. There's plenty of churches and people where I've ministered to and I've poured into their life, but you're the only ones that gave back as a, as a response to that receiving. And that's the, the, the call of Christian giving. It's a response to what we have received in Christ that we then worshipfully give of our resources. This doesn't mean that we try to pay God back. That's impossible. We cannot pay, we cannot pay God back for the riches of his mercy and his grace that he gives to us each and every day. But it means that our giving begins with gratitude. The financial gift from the Philippians was not as much to Paul as it was to the Lord. Someone said that tithes and offerings are not simply God's plan for financing his work. Primarily, it is a means by which the Lord develops his people. Listen, don't view your giving to a church or to a ministry as giving to man, but rather as giving to to God. Paul says that the giving of the Philippians was a sweet smelling aroma. It was an acceptable sacrifice. Now the question for us is, do I view my giving as an act of worship? You know, for those of us who already give faithfully to the Lord. And it's easy when we hear a message about giving to sit back and, you know, well, he's not talking to me because I give every single week. I give, I give a lot of money to the Lord. So this can't be about me. But the thing is, we need to assess our attitude on giving. We need to ask the question to ourselves, why do I give? Do I give because the pastor told me that I need to give? Do I give because I'm fearful that if I don't give, something is going to happen to me? Do I give just because it's, it's just a habit? It's easy when you give just to get into a habit of just, just you know, this is something I do every single week. 
Lord, I'm giving financially to the Lord as an act of worship. You know, that's why when we come to the tithe and offerings time, as I say, we are now going to worship the Lord through our tithes and offerings. So every time when we put into that plate or we give on our phone, wherever it may be, we need to view that as an act of worship. It's an act of worship because we understand that nothing is mine, that everything belongs to the Lord. And it's only because of his grace that he has even imparted on me the gifts and the resources that I have. It's an act of worship because it's a thankfulness and a gratitude for what he has given me. It's an expression of the love that I have for Jesus. Listen, our attitude towards giving is more important than how much we give. God values the one who gives little, sacrificially, more than he does the one who gives much, begrudgingly or with the wrong attitude. When it comes to giving, God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. And then look at verse 19 with me. The third thing that we see is that we give knowing that God will meet our needs. We give as an investment in eternity. We give as an act of worship. And we give knowing that God will meet our needs. Look at verse 19 with me. Paul says, but my God, Paul's testifying right there. My God. He says, listen, I know this is true because it's been true in my life. But my God shall supply your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Giving generously is not just an act of worship, but it's also an act of faith. Giving generously takes faith because you have to trust that when we give away the financial resources that we have, that God is going to make up for it by Providing for my immediate needs. You know, I know the questions that go through some of our heads. What if I give and then an emergency comes up? What if I give and then I lose my job? But for the Christian who gives faithfully, this doesn't have to be a worry. As we hold to the promise of Philippians 4, 19. Listen, I've heard it said that God can do more with your 90% or however much it may be, with, he can do more with what you have left after you give than you can do with your 100%. I told you next week I'm going to start a mini-series on uh, different texts and verses that we often take out of context and don't fully understand. But really, Philippians 4.19 is one of those verses. You know, often you might hear Philippians 4.19 isolated from the rest of the passage. And when you isolate a text from the rest of the passage, it quickly leads to prosperity theology. But in this text, know that Paul is not promising health and wealth. When it comes to this verse, the first thing I want us to realize is that Philippians 4.19 is a conditional promise. It's a conditional promise. This is not just a name it and claim it verse. As a Christian, I can say, well, my God is going to supply all my need according to his riches and glory. But rather, this verse, in effect, 
God is saying, if you honor me with your finances, like the church at, at Philippi has, then I will meet your needs. This promise is not extended to those who don't worship the Lord through giving and invest in eternity. Yet, while it is conditional, it's a beautiful, wonderful promise that when we give sacrificially that God gives abundantly. Paul says, you help to meet my one need. Now God is going to meet all of yours. And this is the second thing that I want us to understand this morning. Is that Philippians 4.19 is not an invitation to a genie in the bottle, vending machine, God. But rather it is a promise of his care for us. God promises to meet our need, not our greed. I'll be honest with you, it'd be a whole lot easier for me to stand up here this morning. I'm, I'm sure that even people would be encouraged to give if I stood up here this morning and said, listen, if you give to God, he is going to bless you financially. But I honestly don't think that that is the point that the Apostle Paul is trying to make here. Paul wrote this as he sat in a Roman prison. He wasn't being blessed materially. Yet Paul still felt as if all his needs were met. So while I'm not going to tell you that if you give to the mission next week, that God is going to give you a promotion at your job. What I will remind you of is the words of David in Psalms 37, where David says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. We have to be careful when it comes to scripture of reading it through Western eyes. Oftentimes, just because it's natural, we read the Bible as a 21st century American. We live in a blessed society that is vastly different from that of the society which the Apostle Paul was writing this book of the first century Christians, and this can skew our interpretations of the Bible. So to put this promise into perspective, I want us to go in our mind and get out of America and think of an underground Christian in China where your neighbors are financially rewarded for telling the officials that you're a Christian. Or maybe put yourselves in the feet of a Christian in North Korea where just last month a two-year-old girl was sentenced to life in prison because her parents were found with a Bible. Put yourself in the shoes of those Christians who are persecuted and who don't have the blessings and liberties that we have in America. Now meditate on Philippians 4.19. Think about that verse, my God shall supply all your need for the underground Christian in persecuted places. And how much radically different it becomes. Listen, as you see, this is not a promise of wealth or even an easy life. The concept of need has to be considered according to God's will. What we need and what we want are not always the same thing. That being said, God tends to bless those who will use the resources they have 
according to his purposes. And while our idea of needs differ from those of God's, he promises to supply all our needs. The Greek phrase for shall supply is this idea of being filled to the bread. Listen, the Lord is not slack concerning your needs. Whatever it may be, he has more than enough to meet it. There's a story about a young boy in a rural town. This young boy was playing with his friends, and while they were playing, they got hungry. So they ran down to the local store, and they pulled all their money together. By the time they counted up the money, they had no more than 10 cents. So they gave the 10 cents to the young boy, and he goes into the store, and he sees a sign that says, Handful of Raisins, 10 cents. He goes to the counter, and he puts his 10 cents on the counter, and he says, I would like a handful of raisins. The owner is standing behind the counter, and he turns to the boy, and he takes a paper bag, he hands it to him, he says, go over there to that barrel, get you a handful of raisins, and get out of here. The little boy takes the bag, and he goes to the barrel of raisins, and he stands in front of it, but he doesn't reach down. He's standing there, and the owner looks at, him, looks at him and says, Son, I thought I told you to get your handful of raisins and get out of here. The boy acted like he couldn't understand what the owner was saying, and he just stood there holding his bag. The owner starts to get a little irritated. He raises his voice. He says, Do you not hear me? Reach down, get your raisins, and get out. But the boy just kept standing there. Finally, the owner gets mad, he comes around the corner, he snatches the bag from the little boy, he reaches down, grabs a handful of raisins, puts it in the bag, tells the boy to scram. The boy looks at him and says, thank you, sir. The boy goes outside to his friends and they had been watching from the window. They asked him, why did you just stand there at the barrel? And the boy says, well, I looked at my hands. And then I looked at his hands. And I knew that I could get more out of his hands. If I just stood back long enough, eventually he'd use his hand to fill my bag. Listen, is there anybody here this morning that knows that God's hands are bigger than our hands? That when we learn to give to God, to step back and trust him that he will fill our bag and meet our needs. Yeah. Paul says he's able to meet our needs according to his riches and glory. God's riches and glory are infinite and everlasting. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The beauty of this verse is that we are blessed according to God's riches, not out of God's riches. A millionaire buys a college student's books for the semester out of his riches. But the same millionaire pays to erect a college dorm according to his riches. We are blessed in proportion to God's riches. 
So how do we make a withdrawal from God's abundant treasury through Jesus, our Lord? Listen, Christ has full access to God's account. When we need resources, we take it up with Jesus. Sadly, oftentimes we give our worst to God. We give God the leftovers from the week. Back in the 90s, the Butterball Turkey Company set up a telephone hotline to answer customer questions about preparing their turkey for the holidays. One woman called to inquire about cooking a turkey that had been sitting in the bottom of the freezer for 23 years. 23 years. The Butterball representative told her, well, if it's been in the bottom of the freezer and it hasn't gone above freezing, that technically it's safe to eat, but I wouldn't recommend it because the flavor has probably deteriorated. The caller replies, it's what I thought. We'll give the turkey to our church. <laughs> listen, listen, thank God that while we often give our worst and last, that he gave his first and best. Listen, the gospel is a message of giving. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Because God gave us his son, because Christ gave his life on Calvary, we have the means to know God, to be with God forever and eternity, the means to be forgiven and redeemed and restored. Thomas Watson, a Puritan preacher, he said, to give us Christ is more than if God had given us all the world. He can make more worlds, but he has no more Christ to give. If that's not enough motivation to give back to the one who gave it all, I don't know what else to tell you. Whether we have a physical or spiritual need, the Lord is here for us. The generous Christian lives on the promise of Philippians 4.19, not because he is generous, but because first and foremost, he is in Christ Jesus. Every head bowed, eyes closed. Let the worship team come forward. Listen, if you're here this morning and you are not in Christ Jesus, if you're here this morning and you've never put faith in Christ for salvation, he is waiting.